Hello, I'm Danny Aiken, president of Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. We want to thank you for listening to this chapel message. Our mission at Southeastern is to seek to glorify the Lord Jesus Christ by equipping students to serve the church and fulfill the Great Commission. We hope that you enjoy this chapel message and that you will visit our website. It's www.sebts.edu. There you can learn more about our school and what the Lord is doing here. We hope you enjoy the message. Thank you for being a part of what we're doing here. Thank you, Dr. Milioni, or Pastor Duane, as I refer to you, for those kind words. And thank you, Dr. Aiken, for the invitation. It's a great privilege for me to be here today. I, un- I understand that the magnitude of what it means to open up God's word. And although this isn't a church, it's composed of God's people. So we're doing church this morning. Amen. So I want to invite you to open up your Bible to the gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 4. And I want us to look at this morning at verses 35 through 41. Mark chapter four, verses 35 through 41. This is the word of the Lord. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let's go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke, and he rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even wind and sea obey him? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this beautiful morning and for the opportunity that we have right now to sit under the authority of your word. Lord, it is our prayer that your word will go forth. Lord, that all of us in this room would hear your truth and be compelled to be drawn near to Jesus. And that he would be what we, in whom we would be most satisfied in. So Lord, just help us to have a grand picture of who Jesus is, of the majesty of Jesus. Help us to see Jesus for who he is. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I found myself on a yacht. Some men and myself, we had chartered a fishing boat on the west coast of Florida off of Fort Myers, and our hope was to go deep sea fishing. So about 21 miles out off the coast, we were there. It was a a beautiful day, a 50-foot yacht. This yacht was impressive. We were there with a captain, a shipmate, just five guys in this boat. And I had seen in the distance that there was some rain that was apparently approaching us. You could feel the wind and it's getting colder, but we were not worried about it. But in an instant, in just a few minutes, this storm was upon us. And what was a moment of just leisure fishing, all relaxed and sitting around this 50-foot yacht, was this hold on for dear life moment 
because the storm was upon us. The wind was howling and the seas were now about seven to eight feet high. And I was just holding on to dear life and trying not to vomit anymore. If you've ever been fishing with me, you know that it doesn't take too many waves for me to turn inside out. And there we were, all of us were sick and all of us, even the captain, and when the captain is rolling around the ground, you know, holding on with your life, it's pretty bad. And I realized at that moment, I'll never forget it. I was so proud of this 50-foot yacht, and at that moment I said, what is this 50-foot yacht? Who are we but a speck in this ocean that is raging? And I realized that who was in command was the storm. And we were at its mercy. The storm was as, as, as powerful as it was and, how, and as afraid as we were, there was something about it beautiful as you were looking into the sea. And I can only think of one word. This thing is majestic. And as I was preparing for this message, I could not help but consider how much more majestic is the one who created those seas. And how much more majestic is the one who, by the voice, by his own voice, he's able to calm the raging seas. So what I want us to do this morning is to consider the majesty of Jesus. Because if truth be told, we often find ourselves not contemplating in his majesty. I think that sometimes we find ourselves delighting in the things we do for Jesus and not in Jesus himself. And oftentimes we have way too much confidence in the flesh and in our abilities, our gifts, our talents in a place like this. Whether you're a pastor, a professor, a student, we have to be careful that we miss on the majesty of Jesus because we're so honed into the gifts and the talents that he's given us. I think today, It is right for us to contemplate on the majesty of Jesus. Because if we don't, when the waves of this this life start to pound upon us, when it's our moment to experience pain and suffering and fear, when all that sets in, we better have a majestic Jesus. We better have a majestic Jesus. And I think that that's the purpose of the gospel of Mark. We know that to be true. Mark is out to prove that that he is royalty, that he is indeed the son of God. He is the long-awaited Messiah. And in the first three chapters, we find all these miracles and these teachings of Jesus. And the point is, look, here is the Messiah. Here is the son of God with all authority before you. Yet no one would, would really recognize him as such. Even his disciples that he called were understanding what it meant that he was the Messiah. But really, in the book of Mark, we find that it is is something that is progressively becoming a reality to them, as we have seen even in this passage. Till then, the only ones who truly knew him as God in the flesh were the demons. Every time they encountered him, they were concerned for their lives. So here we are in this chapter four, and it's as if we're hit, we are hitting a climactic moment in this book. Things are starting to escalate. Jesus is about to do something that will help his disciples understand with more detail 
who he is. And yet we have in verse 41 that even then they really did not fully understand. They were actually blown away, astonished because their words in verse 41 is, who then is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? They were clueless, but progressively learning. Jesus in full of grace and, 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 and kindness and patience was leading them to understand who he was, the majestic Christ. And we know that eventually they would understand and when the Holy Spirit would fall upon them in Acts chapter two and they would understand the purposes of the gospel and they would see the risen savior, Peter himself would say later on in 2 Peter 1.16, he says, for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says this, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. They were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So in verse 35, it begins with these three words, on that day. What was happening on that day in chapter four there? Well, people were following Jesus. Multitudes were after Jesus. And he had been teaching the entire day on the parable of the sowers and among other parables. And there he was on the shores of the Sea of Galilee and people were pressing upon him. So he steps into a small boat off the shore so he could do his teaching. But after he was done, verse 35 tells us that when he had been teaching all day into the evening, he said to his disciples, hey, why don't we go over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee? Now, we need to understand that the only reason why they are heading across and going across to the other side of the Sea of Galilee is because Jesus, he said so. And we can't miss that because he's the king. Wherever the king says, we go, we disciples, we follow. Amen? I think it's important for us to remember that because in just a little bit, things are going to get very ugly. And they're going to get very bad. They're going to run into a storm. Their lives will be in danger. They will cry and complain. And they need not forget that it was Jesus who said, let's go to the other side. They can't forget that. And as we look at verse 36, an amazing comment there that Mark has. He says, and leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. They fully did not understand who he was, but they needed to understand that he was Jesus. Yes, the man whom they had loved and followed and had believed that he was the, the Messiah, but they needed to understand that who they were taking with him was also the God man. God in the flesh was going with them. So they needed to be reminded of that as they approached the storm. And I think that we need to be re reminded of that as well as life happens and we find ourselves with the understanding that wherever we go, he has gone with us. We can't forget that. So I have three points for us this morning that I'd love for us to uh, capture and into our hearts. And the first thing is this, that, that Jesus reveals his majesty in the manner in which he leads us into a storm. Because what he does here, he tells these guys, get into the boat, we're going to the other side, and does Jesus know what's gonna happen? Absolutely he knows what's gonna happen. He is Lord. And some of these guys and some of his disciples were fishermen. 
It's the end of the day, and you would think that they would have heard his, his request, and they would have been like, hey, hey, just maybe we shouldn't go this evening. Maybe perhaps we should leave in the morning, but they did not question him. At least we, we don't have evidence of that. They followed him because Jesus said, let's go. And the Sea of Galilee is one that very quickly it turns into a great storm. Low elevation, high mountains surrounding it, and the winds would get trapped within those mountains. And, and the Sea of Galilee would look much like what I experienced off the coast of Florida. But they went because they followed their Messiah. They had remembered why they were following him. He had preached about the kingdom. He had called him out by name, and they understood in limited ways that he was the Messiah, that he was the center of the kingdom of God, that he was the focus of God's rule over all that is. And they are participants of the kingdom of God. So they go, and they had seen the miracles. They had seen him, and they had done a life with him, and they were now in this boat, and they were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and they needed to remember that Jesus is the one who took them. Now, some people would tell you that if you ever find yourself in a difficult situation, if you ever find yourself in a storm, it must be because you are outside of the will of God. No. In this story, we find that these disciples were right in the center of the will of God. Yes, it's possible that he could discipline you and you could experience something because of disobedience. But more often than not, what you'll find is that the trouble that comes to your life and the difficulty that comes to your life, you will find that you are right in the center of God's will. And it's so hard for us to see that, is it not? Because we want a life, we prefer a life without problems. But the truth is that Jesus is not here to just simply solve our problems. Jesus is the one who created this problem for them. That sounds scandalous, right? In your circumstance, in your life, the trials that have come your way, could it be that the one who has brought about that problem is Christ himself? In South Florida, where people are very passionate, very charismatic, and Hispanic folks are just very passionate people, so there's a lot of churches that will tell you that in any one of those moments, what you need to do is is rebuke the devil and cast out and rebuke any type of demon. They make up demons. But if they just understood the Bible, and if they understood the God of the Bible, perhaps they would hear the voice that says, it's not the devil, it's me, Jesus. So Jesus is out to show his disciples his majesty and his kingdom authority. And he wants to show us the same with our life. Question, do we bow down to the authority and the majesty of Jesus? Do we really believe that all things work together for good for those who love them and those who are called according to his purpose? Do we really believe that? If so, 
And if he is our Lord and if he is our Savior, guess what? He knows best and we need to be good with that. He's out perhaps out to test our faith, to grow our faith. And in those moments of trial and tribulation, he is showering us with grace so that our will and our hearts will bend and be conformed to the majesty of Jesus and find that place to be delightful and good. Have you come to that place where you can say freely, Lord, thy will be done in my life? You know, it was Peter who, and the disciples, but mainly Peter, because he has the biggest mouth. He's, he's, out, he's out challenging Jesus on everything that he says when it's something negative. So Jesus tells his disciples that he must return to Jerusalem. He must go to Jerusalem because he needs to give his life. He's going to die in the hands of the, uh, uh, of the Pharisees and the priests. And you know how Peter responds in Matthew 16. He tells him, far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But we know the words of Jesus to Peter when he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. It sort of sounds harsh. But listen, God has his perfect will and purpose, redemptive purposes that he was carrying out. And Peter found himself with his comment with his pushback against the Lord, he was aligning himself more with the devil that's out to disrupt the redemptive purposes of God than with Jesus who was out to complete the work that his father had given him. So Peter was a completely off base. And every time you and I start to complain and question God, and what are you doing, God? Be careful, because we might be aligning ourselves with the purposes of the devil rather than with the, the purposes of God in Christ for you. Oh, it's a dangerous thing to be a follower of Jesus, is it not? In the book, The Chronicles of Narnia, in the first um, a movie or the book there, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, you know that when these brothers and sisters, they, they step into Narnia, one of the first animals that they meet is Mr. Beaver and Mrs. Beaver. And, and they hear all these stories about Aslan and who he is, and they're assuming that he is man. But the beavers start to explain that, that he is a lion and that he is a great lion. And then Susan responds, well, I thought he was a man. It, is he safe? And it's, I love how Mr. Beaver responds. He says, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. But he is good. He is the king, I tell you, is what Mr. Beaver says. He is a lion. And sometimes we want to treat him like a cat that we could domesticate. You can't domesticate Jesus. He is a lion. He is the king. He is not safe. His majesty will not allow for safety. He could lead you into any storm, into any circumstance, and through it all, you must know this, he is good. And he is out to bring his name glory and to, and to move you to a place where you could have deeper faith and trust and confidence in him. 
He can lead us into any situation and any place he chooses. Are you good with that? So Christ reveals his majesty in the manner in which he leads us into the storm. But secondly, Christ reveals his majesty in that while there is chaos, he is at rest. In the middle of the storm, Jesus is at rest. He is literally sleeping, head on a pillow. And the disciples, they could have been doing the same thing, but they were doing the exact opposite, were they not? But what they needed to understand that although he was asleep, he was with them, and that should have been enough for them. They had no reason to worry. Why? Because Jesus had said, let's go to the other side, and Jesus was there with them. And if he is there with you, it doesn't matter. There's a hundred storms coming their way. They were right where Jesus had taken them. So Jesus wakes up, and they wake him up, and, and the question is, why are you so afraid? Jesus at that, at that moment was exposing their hearts, exposing their fear and their lack of trust in him. And the very reason why God, why uh, the Lord uh, uh, took him into that storm was so that his majesty and the purpose and what he, what he was about to do would actually remove fear from their lives. That's the purpose of those trials. So when you are going through those uh, difficult times, uh, Christ wants you to see his majesty so that your fear would turn to trust and faith. If I'm honest with you this morning, this, in preparing for this, there was a part of me that was very fearful about standing here in front of you to be preaching at Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary and have a fear of man to be here at this moment. But I was preaching to myself and I was saying, and my wife was preaching to me too. <laughs> In this very moment, God's grace is for you. And he wants to glorify himself in your life. But these men, to just explain the depth of their rebellion, of their hearts not being in the right place, they accuse Jesus. They say, teacher, in verse 38, do you not care that we are perishing? They brought an accusation against Jesus that he didn't care. And yet the truth is that he's the only one that cares and the only one that has ever cared. Since glory, since before the foundations of the world, he's been caring for those who are his. When he, as the Lamb of God that was slain before the foundations of the earth, in the mind of God, that was a done deal. And as he became a man, he lived his life and his earthly ministry. Through it all, he proved that he cares. And when he went to the cross and shed his blood, being God himself, he could have stepped off that cross. I said, forget this, pass judgment upon all, but because out of love and care for those who are lost, he endured the cross. It was his joy. And what these disciples needed to do was to look at Jesus. And so do we. We need to have our eyes placed on Jesus because he cares and he loves us and he proved it to us on Calvary. So Jesus led them into the storm. 
to put on display his majesty, his sovereignty. And he did it so with calm. Because he's Lord. Stephen, when he was stoned in Acts chapter 7, you remember that the heavens opened up and he sees God and he sees Jesus. And you know what he didn't see? Chaos in heaven. He didn't see alarms going off. What in the world is happening to Stephen? We need to do something. No, it says that there was God on his throne and Jesus was standing up next to the right hand of God. And he was looking at Stephen like saying, well done. I am, I am showing you my majesty so that you could in this process glorify me. In the middle of chaos, Jesus is at rest. So Christ reveals his majesty in the manner in which he leads us into the storm. And Christ reveals his majesty in that while there is chaos, he is at rest. But thirdly, Christ reveals his majesty by the way that he calms the storm. The passage tells us that he rose and he spoke to the wind and the sea, peace, be still. He said, hush. He didn't say, well, grab the oars and bring down the sail and let's see if we can save ourselves. No, with full authority and majesty, he called out to the wind and sea. And just by his words, they silenced. He didn't wake up in a panic. That is a display of majesty. And actually what he was doing there was really a bringing back a prophecy of something that was becoming a reality out of Psalm 107, verses 23 through 30, which says, some, some went down to the sea in ships doing business on the great waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep, for he commanded and raised the stormy wind, which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their evil plight. They reeled and staggered like drunken men and were in their wits' end. Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them from their distress. He made the storm be still, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Then they were glad that the waters were quiet, and he brought them to their desired haven. What Jesus was doing right there, he was saying, I am God. So we should be thankful for those storms and those difficulties in our life because it is during those storms and those times that we see or should see the majesty of Jesus through it all. An interesting connection that we find in this passage is that later on, Peter, who was at this moment doubting and always worried about what was gonna happen to Jesus and always trying to change the plans. Later on in his life in Acts chapter 12, we find that he is in prison. He's gonna die. And we know the story, an angel shows up and he is there to rescue Peter, to bail him out. And in the middle of the night, this angel steps into the cell and finds Peter asleep. He finds Peter asleep. And he has to wake him up and say, hey, grab your coat and let's go. Where did Peter learn how to sleep like that in the midst of that circumstance? 
He had seen the majesty of Jesus through it all. But listen, he wasn't sleeping just because he was imitating his Savior. He wasn't sleeping just because that's what Jesus did because he couldn't muster up enough you know, in him to be able to do that in the midst of what he was facing. The reason why he was sleeping was because he had been confronted with the majesty of Jesus. Because by this moment, by this time, in Acts chapter 12, Peter had completely understood the gospel. And through all the storms and the trials that he lived through, he had already come to know clearly the greatest storm that was lingering over his head. And that was his sin in light of a holy God. And he understood that the storm of the wrath of God was upon him. It made every other storm minuscule. What was that moment in the Sea of Galilee next to the wrath of Almighty God against his sin? But he knew this, that Jesus, in all majesty, he calmed that storm of God's wrath for him. And he accomplished on the cross what Peter could never accomplish for himself and that we could never accomplish for ourselves in the best of our days. Jesus swallows up the wrath of God. He calms the storm of God's wrath. And on the basis of that, I believe that Peter is sleeping. I am good with my God because I have a majestic Savior. Providence Road is six years old, and about three years ago, we had our first member die. And I'll end with this story. Juan Garcia. Juan Garcia was a man in his 60s who had pulmonary fibrosis. He was a dying man because his lungs were being petrified, and he couldn't breathe. And He had a few years to live, and he was living with oxygen, and he was uh, doing his best. He loved the Lord. And he thought that he would be the first one to die in his family. And a year before he died or so, maybe two, his oldest son, a 30-year-old young man, strong, walking out of a gym, drops dead on the parking lot because of a massive heart attack. Could you imagine the pain in that man? And shortly after, there he is in a hospital bed, now with 100% oxygen because he can't breathe on his own. He's dying. His family is there, and I walk in, and I speak to Juan, and he's telling me, Pastor, I'm good. I'm going to see my Jesus today. And I'm thinking, what courage. He calls his family in and to his other children, he's giving them instructions of what they need to do with, with all that he has and how they need to watch after his wife, their mother, and, and they're all crying. And, and he says, uh, and I'm in the room, he says, why are you all crying? I'm going to meet Jesus today. And how he was going to pass away was on his request on, at the right moment, because that's it, there's nothing they could do. 100% oxygen for the rest of his life is impossible. It will kill him. And he needed to be on a morphine drip and slowly start to reduce the oxygen levels. And boldly, he calls the nurse in front of the family and says, I'm ready for the morphine. And he said to his family and to me, be faithful to the Lord. Where did that come from? If not, that he was blown away by the majesty of his Savior. 
At that moment in his life, Jesus was all he needed. And you know what? Perhaps if it wasn't for his trials, he would have never glorified God that way. I'm not saying that we need to suffer like that and may the Lord spare us of that. But right now where you're at, we should live with full assurance that Christ is majestic and our everything. And every time, every moment of our lives when he is not, we have reason to be humbled and reason to repent. Let us pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word and thank you Lord, that we could take it home with us, Lord, and allow your spirit to just convict us and change us, subdue us. Lord, I pray that you have been glorified through this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to this chapel message from Southeastern Baptist Theological Seminary. If you are thinking about theological education on the undergraduate or graduate level, including doctoral studies, we hope that you consider us. If you also find these chapel messages encouraging and a blessing to your walk with Christ, We hope that you will consider financially supporting Southeastern. Our graduates are literally serving the kingdom across this globe, working to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Your gifts will help to train more, and they will serve as a worthwhile investment in God's kingdom. You can find more information about attending Southeastern or supporting us financially at www.sebts.edu. We covet your prayers and trust that God will bless every good work you do for his glory. Thank you for joining us in our chapel services.